You're listening to a Stranger podcast. www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Podcast. Less than a year ago in Vancouver, British Columbia, a girl named Amanda Todd committed suicide. She was 15 years old and she had been going online where somebody convinced her that he liked her and convinced her to bare her breasts and he took pictures, screen grabs and eventually exposed her, created an online profile, put her pictures out there, hounded her anonymously from school to school where she was then bullied by her peers and her classmates uh, and called a slut and physically attacked and mocked. And in October of last year, Amanda Todd committed suicide because of the exposure, the slut shaming, the bullying. And just this week, another suicide in Canada, Retea Parsons, a 17-year-old girl in Nova Scotia who was – they're calling it Canada's Steubenville case – who was raped at a party where kids were drinking. She was 15 years old. She was drunk. She could barely remember what happened. Four boys raped her and – one boy took pictures or a picture that was then distributed to everyone in her community, everyone in her school. The police investigated for a year and no charges were ever brought and her family moved her to a new school in a new city where the photos followed her and the slut shaming and the bullying followed her and last week she hanged herself in her mother's bathroom and she was taken off life support this weekend and died. So we have another victim of – this online mob of slut-shaming fucking nuts and freaks and assholes and malicious fucking shits. And it's always this bullying of teenage girls and often teenage victims. In the Steubenville case, Steubenville, Ohio, where a girl was carted from party to party by students who was blackout drunk, was unconscious, was raped – when the images and the pictures began circulating and there was a cover-up and Anonymous blew in and blew the lid off that cover-up, eventually that went to trial and the community turned not on the boys who raped that girl in Steubenville but on the girl, on the victim. She was the one at fault because she got drunk, because she was at that party, because somehow she invited that response and her unconscious body somehow entrapped those boys. This – Keeps happening. Girls being victimized uh, at parties uh, when they're drunk. Photos being victimized then online, uh, being cyberbullied, and their entire community turning on them. In Retea Parsons' case, her mother, in a post on Facebook on a memorial page for her, describes this girl's own friends turning on her. Not male friends, girlfriends, females. That this isn't just boys bullying and picking on girls. That when the slut shaming kicks into high gear. It's also girls turning on girls. And it keeps happening over and over again. And people are dying because of this slut-shaming, because of these attacks, because of alcohol and telephones and social media. I don't know. I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around it. Joining me now by phone, Emily Bazelon, senior editor at Slate and author of the new book, Sticks and Stones, Defeating the Culture of Bullying and Rediscovering the Power of Character and empathy. Last week on Slate, Emily wrote about this case, about Retea, 
Uh, her article is called Sexting Scourge, Canada's Steubenville Case. Only this time the teenage girl killed herself and the police haven't done anything yet. Hey, Emily, thanks for jumping on the phone. Hey, thanks for having me. So you've dug deeply into the culture of bullying and what goes on at the schools. What can we do about these cases and what is what is going on here with the, the, the photos in Steubenville, in this case and other cases where girls are being – slut-shamed to death because of a stray photograph. Right. It's very disturbing. And I think the accessibility of cameras is just such a factor that's so different from when I was growing up and has really changed this. And there's this way in which girls can feel humiliated and disgraced that I think the circulation of these photos really just ups the ante, right? I mean, you can imagine... You know, if it's true that Ritea was raped and that was how she saw it, she had this awful sexual experience. But then that used to be a private thing that happened to you. The idea that then there's this public shaming that happens and then kids turn on you because they don't believe you and you, they think that you consented to the sex. That really just adds this whole level of humiliation that I think is just incredibly difficult for girls and people generally to deal with. What kind of sexist fucking shit in the culture undergirds this this attitude that the, the girl who is clearly the victim, clearly the victim in Steubenville, clearly the victim here, whose photograph was taken and disseminated, the shame falls on her, not the rapists, not the people forwarding this picture. How does the shame fall on the victim? You know, this seems to me like it's been going on for generations, that girls are encouraged to kind of to be sexually active, to, to be out there. It's a form of power until it utterly backfires on them and leaves them completely powerless. And I think for a lot of girls, when I've talked to girls in high school, sometimes they're clear about where that line is. One girl said to me last year that if you had sex with more than six people, that made you a slut. But then this friend of hers who was there said, no, it's not that clear. It depends. Were they your boyfriend or not? How long did this take place? Like, what was the period of time? I just think the kids only know when they've crossed the line, when it's sort of too late. The line moves. And especially in a circumstance like this, where Ortea had been drinking, she's not even sure exactly that she remembers everything that happened that night, according to her mother. And somehow the boys in this situation don't have the same repercussions from the facts and that it's really something that only hurts girls. There's something so um, depressing about that. I feel like we should be past this by now and we're just not. You know, you bring up the girls and the boys here when we, you know, we have our first reaction to these cases. Invariably, you're like, oh, my God, the boys, the boys, the boys, the boys, of course committed the, the crimes of sexual violence, committed the rapes, took the photograph. But then you dig into the stories and you read and it almost feels like particularly reading about Retea's story, the, the worst emotional violence inflicted on her was inflicted on her by other girls, that other girls were calling her a slut, that her friends, her, her, her girlfriends all dropped her and turned on her and shunned her. So it isn't just a case of boys victimizing girls here but also girls victimizing girls. Right. And this is also typical, right? The girls are policing this line. I mean, there's this moment in Mean Girls where Tina Fey is playing the teacher in that asks the girls in the audience, there are, you know, a hundred of them on the bleachers of the gym to raise their hands if they've ever called someone a slut and they all raise their hands. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, you know, some ways hard to understand. On the other hand, the girls are caught up in the same culture and they are all trying to figure out their identities too. And somehow that can mean making other girls feel really terrible about their sexual identities. 
I do think, though, in this case, it's important to remember that the circulation of the photograph is the criminal act, you know, in addition to possibly rape, which, you know, we don't know the answer to that. But it does seem like this photo that circulated, it was in violation of Canadian law. And that's what's surprising to me, that there was no prosecution, no accountability for that. That that blows my mind that there is a photograph circulating of boys having sex at a party with a drunk 15-year-old girl, which is illegal in, in multiple ways. And the police look into that for a year and there are no charges. Nobody's brought in. There's no nothing that happens to anybody who took part in the creation or dissemination of that photograph. That That's staggering. Right. And I understand that they pulled the photo off of one of the boys' phones. It's possible that they can't figure out whether there was some moment where one person forwarded it to many people. Maybe, you know, one boy forwarded to one more boy and it kind of went down the chain like that. And that's why it's hard for them. I'm just speculating here, just sort of trying to give the police the benefit of the doubt. But, you know, I do think there, as I was saying before, there's a way in which the taking and especially the distributing of these photographs really for the purposes of mocking a girl or humiliating her has just created this new harm for girls and and for kids generally, you know, potentially. And I think we really need to think about how to deal with that. Defeating the culture of bullying is a subtitle of your book. How do we defeat this shit? How do we stop this? Well, you know, usually I want to focus on prevention. I want kids to have really honest conversations about sex in this case, about sexting. There's this great episode of a WNYC show called Radio Rookies where a teenage girl interviewed a bunch of kids she knows about this. Um, And then they did a town hall meeting to really try to have an honest conversation about how all of this is affecting kids. I don't think kids have enough spaces to do that in. And I think also we really have to guide them in this world of technology, not just like hand over the phone with the camera and expect them to know how to use it properly because we see them getting into trouble. I emailed you last week when your story came out just quickly to say as the parent of a teenager, I wish they would make fucking phones that didn't have goddamn cameras on them and not the little crappy phones that no kid wants to be seen with because social death, but a really good iPhone, really great and has access to the internet and you can play all your stupid games, but it doesn't have a fucking camera. Not every kid needs a camera and this is this seems to contribute to the the violence that can be done to kids. And kids get together, they're alone at parties, everybody's photographing everything all the time. And wouldn't it be a solace to parents to have that freaking op that doesn't protect you your kid from being photographed by some other kid whose parent didn't get him a phone free camera, but shouldn't Apple and Samsung be bringing out good quality smartphones that don't have fucking cameras for 13 and 14 and 15 year and 16 year old kids? Yes, I wish they would too. But isn't it also on us as parents to demand this, to create a market for it? Do you think if Apple and Samsung created those phones that enough parents of teenagers would buy them? You know, you know how, you know how teenagers, you know how parents would buy them? If schools made it a rule that you can't bring your, fo- your phone to school if it has a camera on it. If it was a school rule that the only phones allowed in school are camera-free phones – I like that idea. It's an enforcement challenge for schools. They'd have to do some inspections. But I really like that idea. It's like a smart kind of nuanced approach to the technology. Too much damage can be done and we've seen it done over and over and over again with just putting porn production studios in the hands of 13s and 14s and 15-year-olds. Right. I think that's right. Uh, and I sound, I sound like a Republican right now when I rant this way. But, you know, I have, a, I have a teenage son and we monitor his cell phone usage and we look at pictures on his phone and 
sometimes we have to go to him and say, this is not something you take pictures of. Not that there's been anything Steubenville-y or Halifaxy on his phone, but we've had to insert ourselves in between our son and his phone and remind him that this is a really powerful weapon and show him these cases. And God, I would just love to be able to sidestep this nightmare of an impulsive, non-fully frontal lobed child with a phone and with a camera and the internet everywhere he goes. Well, I don't think you sound like a Republican at all. I think you sound like a concerned parent and that it's really important to figure out a way to say, hey, I'm not against technology. I live on the internet. I get it to the extent that any uncool parent can. But I still want to think through the implications of all this new machinery you have at your disposal and and make sure that I'm guiding you through using it and that I'm giving you access to it step by step when you can handle it as opposed to just handing over a smartphone all at once. You know, a smartphone is not a phone at all, really. The kids don't make phone calls on it. It's a computer that you're carrying around in your pocket. Mm-hmm. And we've decided that that's okay, that we're going to give kids these very sophisticated computers to carry around when they are, you know, can do whatever they want with them. We're not with them every minute of the day, of course. And I'm not sure that's really so wise. So what's next for this case in Halifax, Rutea Parsons? The justice minister in Nova Scotia suggested last week that he was going to look into whether this, the case should be reopened by prosecutors. It's really hard to know, since we don't have a sense of what the evidence is, whether there is some hope that some charges could still be brought. And then the second development to watch for is that the hacker group Anonymous has been threatening to out the boys involved. And so we'll see what tra- transpires with that. This is dangerous. You know, we don't want to ever incentivize suicide. But if it gets into kids' heads that the only way the police or the justice minister will pay attention to what happened to you and justice might be done for you is if you kill yourself, that could have really fatal consequences for some kids out there. If the only way you will be – your problem will be addressed and, and you will get justice is if you take yourself hostage and off yourself first – <sighs> right. And there's something really horrifying about that. You're absolutely right. It's very upsetting. Emily Bazelon, author of Sticks and Stones, Defeating the Culture of Bullying and Rediscovering the Power of Character and Empathy. Uh, thank you so much for jumping on the phone with us today. Thanks so much for having me, Dan. I'm a huge fan of the show. Thank you. Okay. That's a depressing beginning to a regular show. So we're going to shake that off, shake that off, let that go. And your regular calls, your regular sex questions, relationship questions after this. ExtremeRestraints.com is the ultimate no-holds-barred sex toy store. Whether it's premium lubes, eight-speed wand, massagers, electro-sex gear, or fucking machines, Extreme Restraints brings you a wide selection and low prices. You can take an extra 10% off ExtremeRestraint.com's already low prices with the coupon code GGG2013. Double that discount for 20% off if you use GGG2013 by Sunday. Hi, Dan. I'm a 27-year-old female, and I've been married for four years now in an open relationship for two, and my husband and I have reached a bit of a road bump. Some backstory, when I was in high school, I was in a relationship where I was taken advantage of. I kind of developed a warped view about sex and sexuality in general, which um, is kind of a combination of that and the general Catholic guilt thing. Um, basically, at the time, I didn't think I could orgasm. I saw sex as a job rather than something I could get enjoyment out of, and I was really uncomfortable with anyone touching me or trying to give me pleasure. 
Uh, in college, I started dating my now husband. For a long time, our sexual you know, activities consisted of me giving him head or jerking him off or a, v- a variation of activities that ended with him finishing and me never even taking my pants off. I was fine with this. It was what I wanted. I wanted to make him happy, but I didn't want to make him try and reciprocate because I was still dealing with shit from before. Uh, when he protested and said he wanted to make me happy, I refused him. The few times I did allow him to pleasure me, he became frustrated because he couldn't make me orgasm. We started having sex occasionally, but once we got married, the sex stopped altogether. The few times we have tried, he wouldn't be able to finish because of performance anxiety. At the same time, I was repressing something that didn't come out until years after my husband and I were married. Um, I'm bisexual, which is something I hid from even myself until one night when I drunkenly hooked up with a close friend. The hookup came out of nowhere. I wasn't unhappy at my marriage. I didn't feel sexually unfulfilled. Our sex life was non-existent, but that never bothered me because I never really desired sex. In fact, until that point, I was toying with the idea that I might be asexual. My husband, being the amazing man that he is, he forgave me for cheating on him, and we agreed to open our relationship up. I began dating the girl who has been my girlfriend for two years now. My husband's hope was that being with my girlfriend would help me become more comfortable with my sexuality, and in turn, it would help my sex life with him. Well, it partially worked. I'm a lot more comfortable with myself. I've realized that I can orgasm, and the sex with my girlfriend is still very hot. But my husband and I still don't have a very good sex life. The relationship has opened on my husband's side as well, and he's been able to fulfill his sexual desires with other women, though he doesn't have a regular partner. He has had our few and far between. He still suffers from performance anxiety, which never made sense to me until last night when he told me it was because he could never get me off all those years ago. He felt like he was taking advantage of me by accepting free blowjobs and not returning the favor, even though I didn't want him to. He feels like he did, if he doesn't make me orgasm, he's failed. So for all those years, he's just had this compounding guilt that has manifested itself in a way that makes him no longer sexually attracted to me. Adding to this, my husband recently admitted that he's afraid I'll wake up one day and realize I'm a lesbian. I highly doubt this will happen. I know I'm into men. I've been into men in the past. I just tend towards women more. Then again, I repressed my interest in women at all for so long that now I'm right, and I'm even more paranoid because if he is right and I am a lesbian, then he's told me that's pretty much the deal breaker. If there's no hope of revitalizing our sex life, then he doesn't want to be married. We've considered therapy, which I'm fine with, but I'm afraid a therapist will immediately point the finger at our open relationship, which isn't the root of this. So here's the question. How do my husband and I get over this and revitalize our intimacy? We love one another very much, and our relationship is great otherwise. We have regular date nights. We spend most of our time together. We very rarely fight. Uh, It's just this one thing that we really, really want to fix. You know that scene in an emergency room in a television drama or a movie where they take those – they look like round irons and they press it to the chest of the person who's flatlining and everyone goes clear and then they go and they shock that person and bring him back to life. You know when they stop doing that? When the motherfucker's dead. You know when they really stop doing that? When the motherfucker on the table is de-fucking-composing and coming apart, I hate to be the one to tell you. You, you. you ask, how can I revitalize my sex life and my intimacy with my husband? How do you revitalize what was dead on arrival? You have never had a decent and fulfilling sex life with your husband because – sorry I sound so aggravated. I'm not aggravated. I love you. You're on a journey of self-discovery. Uh, but listening to your call made me very tense because I just kept – Wanting to break in, as I'm sure everyone listening wanted to break in and just scream, lady, you're a fucking lesbian. And why is that so hard for you to wrap your head around? Yes, you find some men attractive. Like a lot of lesbians, you are 
perhaps bi, but primarily or mostly attracted to other women and obviously more sexually responsive with other women. There are a lot of lesbian identified bi women out there who can connect with men or maybe have had dalliances with men, even relationships with men. But their really strong physical, emotional and sexual connections are with other women and they are dykes and you are a dyke and you need to end this marriage. It is cruel to drag this fucking thing out any longer. You are being unfair to your husband, unfair to yourself, unfair to your girlfriend. Yes, you guys had a good thing and perhaps emotionally never sexually and maybe that's hard to let go of and maybe it's hard to let go of your self-conception as a bi or straight lady or a married lady. Maybe it's embarrassing uh, to come out now as a lesbian if indeed that's what you are and that's what you are in my opinion and that's what this show is about, my fucking opinion, right? Uh, that can be embarrassing and it can be inhibiting and it can prevent somebody who is a fucking lesbian from accepting that because she fears looking in the eyes of her husband and telling him that, yeah, his worst fear all along is actually the truth. And you don't want to say that to him because you don't want to hurt him. But you know what? What are you fucking doing right now? You are hurting him. The longer this goes on, the more salt you are pouring by the bucket load into his wounds. End it. You didn't know who you were when you met him in college. You didn't know who you were when you married him. You were so sexually repressed that it took a drunken hookup to unlock the person that you are. You didn't do this to him on purpose. But now that you know who you are and what you want and it ain't him, the longer you drag this out, the more culpable you are, the shittier you are, the worse a person you are, the crueler you are to him. You guys need to shake hands and end this marriage. And thank God there are no kids, right? Run off with your fucking girlfriend with whom you have a relationship of two years standing, with whom it sounds like you're in love in a way you have never been in love with your husband. You are in love with your husband as a friend, as a partner, whatever. You are not in love with him romantically. You're certainly not into him sexually. And it's cruel for you to hang out in this marriage teasing him with the impossible reanimating what was dead on arrival. Stop putting the paddles on the corpse. Bury it. Come out as a dyke. And let me just say quickly, this is what homophobia does to people. This is what internalized and really subconscious homophobia does to people. They're so convinced that they couldn't be that thing. They couldn't be a lesbian or they couldn't be bi that they can't see themselves for who they really are. Even after who they really are is staring them in the face. Even after who they really are is eating your pussy, you still can't see who you really are because the homophobia and the culture and the sex negativity in the culture twists you to this point where you will come to any other conclusion but the obvious one, obvious to everyone who listened to your call. You, will can, you can psych yourself up that you're actually asexual when you clearly weren't and never were. You were just one drunken hookup away, one disinhibiting booze fest away from discovering who you really were. And then you did. And now you know. Please stop pretending that you do not know it. Please stop letting the homophobia and self-hatred that was poured into your head and still sloshes around in there in your subconscious prevent you from being who you are for one more fucking minute. 
and prevent you from doing right by your husband finally by ending this marriage. Hey, Dan. John calling from Wisconsin, 27 years old, recently engaged, uh, straight, and I had a question about my fiance. Sometimes she seems to have bursts of jealousy slash insecurity that come out of nowhere, whether it's just an old high school friend, female friend of mine that, you know, is on Facebook and, you know, we're not talking personally or I'm not posting on her wall or we're certainly not communicating via text message or anything, but she'll just say, oh, that girl looks cute like you might like her. I no longer like her. Or or another example, I like the UFC and they recently started having girls fighting. And so I, I, I mentioned that I was exciting for the upcoming fight. It was the first female fight. So, so I was excited about that, and what her takeaway from that was, oh, of course you want to watch these girls, you know, these pretty girls fight one another and, you know, be half-clothed on national television. And, you know, part of me gets angry and takes offense that she thinks that I, I, I can't look at a woman or have a female friend without just, you know, sex, 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 sex running through my brain constantly and, you know, constantly undressing every woman I see with my eyes, you know, because that's not the case. I have... Obviously, I care about her and I'm very attracted to her. That's why we're engaged. Um, the other part of me kind of feels for her. We're both a lot alike and both have some insecurities from time to time. So I feel her pain, you know, but sometimes it's hard for me to remind myself of that and be compassionate and understanding and kind of talk her through it. Uh, sometimes, instead, my response is a little confrontational. But I think that's also because sometimes her coming at me with these insecurities is confrontational. It's not, hey, just out of curiosity, are you attracted to these girls that are fighting or are you attracted to this friend of yours that you ever date? It's more you think these girls are attracted. You, it's, a, it's an accusation, not a question. So, I've heard enough. <laughs> How exhausting this fucking charade must be for so many straight couples. I think a, a lot of queer couples get past this pretty easily because you know to be a queer couple, to be gay or lesbian and out about it, you kind of have to tell the truth. And one of the truths uh, about human sexuality and about people who are partnered is even if you're in love with somebody, even if you have made a commitment to that person, even if it's a monogamous commitment, you still want to fuck other people, period, the end. And what you need to say to your jealous, insecure and controlling girlfriend is – you know, oh yeah, that girl in the ultimate fighting. Yeah, I would totally fuck her. I totally want to fuck her. She's really hot, but I don't fuck her and I'm not going to fuck her and I'm not pursuing anybody on Facebook or anybody else because I love you and I've made a commitment to you. Can you stop with this? Because if what you're looking for is evidence that I am sometimes attracted to other people, okay, let's just put that on the table. Of course I am. As are you. Is she not attracted to Ryan Gosling? When you guys went to see The Avengers and there was Captain America, whoever the fuck he was, with his shirt off, did she not think that was hot? Does she not want to fuck other people? Of course you both want to fuck other people. And part of her baloney game here is since she knows she wants to fuck other people, she assumes that you want to fuck other people because she looks at other guys sometimes and – says, I'd hit that. She looks at you and goes, he's thinking the same thing. And if you could just be honest with each other and put that on the table, then maybe you could have an adult relationship where you're not constantly policing each other for evidence of what you both should know to be true.
which is that being together, making a modest commitment, doesn't mean you don't want to fuck other people. It means you refrain from fucking other people. Period. The end. And if she can't make that leap, if she can't get past that, you should not marry her. Because this is – and right now you're chalking this up to insecurity. This is controlling behavior masquerading as insecurity. She's trying to make you stop watching television shows with women beating the fuck out of each other. She's trying to stop you from having friends who are female that you sometimes interact with. She's trying to isolate you in this way that if it was a man doing it to a woman, nobody would have a problem saying that's controlling uh, pseudo-abusive behavior. And red flag, red flag, red flag. Red flag here. She may be controlling you with boohoo insecurity games but it is still controlling behavior and you need to draw a line in the sand and say this stops and we have an adult relationship where we can be honest with each other and you can accept my love and trust me and believe that I mean it when I say I've committed to you and we are going to be monogamous and I am not going to sleep with anybody else and you're going to stop grilling me about something you know is true. Of course there are other women in the world that I think are hot. The end. Just as there are other men in the world that you think are hot. Can we both move past that now? And if she can't move past that, do not marry that woman. Do not. When you're in the market for a powerful wand massager and enhancing wand attachments for your personal pleasure and a three-inch wide dildo with a compatible strap-on harness to use on your boyfriend, ExtremeRestraints.com has plenty of choices for you. Extreme Restraints offers a wide selection and low prices for just about every sexual interest. Don't want to pay out the nose for a body-safe paraben and glycerin-free lube? Extreme Restraints can get you 34 ounces of passion lube for only $22.95. Want to experiment with chastity play? Extreme Restraints has over a dozen cock cages and plenty of even more devious devices. No matter what you order at ExtremeRestraints.com, be sure to save 10% when you use the coupon code GGG2013. Use that coupon code by Sunday and get that discount doubled for a full 20% off your order. Just use coupon code GGG2013 by Sunday. Hey, Dan. I recently broke up with my ex-girlfriend and started dating a new girl. However, a couple weeks into my new relationship, I find out that my ex-girlfriend is pregnant with a child. Uh, I don't know how that happened. We were always extremely safe. And then it turned weird. Um, I went to the first doctor's appointment with my ex, and that same day she broke into my apartment using a key that she had made in secret uh, without my knowledge and was looking at my iMessages on my iPad while I was iMessaging at work. Uh, to my best friend about the situation. Uh, I just need a little advice on how to deal with the ex, mostly, and then how to tell my current girlfriend about this whole situation, who still doesn't know that I potentially am a father. So what kind of birth control were you using with your crazy ex? (laughs) Um, she, She visibly took the pill in front of me when we first started dating, and then We'd never use condoms after like the first month. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. If I was a straight guy, you know, I hear so many horror stories. My sample is skewed. People don't write me when everything's wonderful. People write me when the shit hits the fan. But God, after reading my mail for 20 years and and, and these calls for five or six, if I was a straight guy, I wouldn't come in the same room with a woman. I I would want to have my semen FedEx to her overnight frozen. Um, and dis- dis- disabled somehow. Or I'd only fuck her in the ass. Um, and again, ladies, ladies, my sample is skewed. People write me when people are being crazy. And uh, 
shitty. People don't write me when everything's rosy. Um, but guys, let this be a lesson to you. You know, how long were you with this crazy person, this ex? Um, it was on and off for about a year. Okay, you don't really know somebody after a month together. You don't know them well enough to trust them with your DNA. You don't know them well enough to trust that they're going to continue to take the hormonal birth control they assured you they were taking at the outset. And some people are – men are crazy. Some women are crazy. And sometimes people go off birth control because they're crazy or they want to entangle someone in their life for the rest of their lives. And that may be the case here. If I were you though, I would you – know, you're, you're going to the doctor with her? Uh, yeah, we went to the first appointment and you know got the family history taken care of. And, okay, you, you, you should. Know. I think you should stop doing that. Okay. Are you are you going to be her partner in this? Are you going to marry her? Are you going to co-parent with her? We're going to co-parent together, but we're not going to be together at all. I'm not going to not be my kid's dad. Okay. Well, I don't think you should not be your kid's dad, but right now we don't know this is your kid, for sure. Do we? I'm 98% certain. Okay. Well, if you're 98% certain, we should act on that 98%. You need to establish boundaries with this person. Like if she's breaking into your house to read your iMessage stream, she obviously has some illusions or delusions about what you owe her and what kind of relationship you two are going to have going forward. And if what you're going to be is co-parents – but in no sort of relationship where you do not answer to each other, have obligations, emotional obligations to each other beyond sharing responsibility for this child, you need to lay that down right now. Okay. And I really feel that if she needs somebody to go with her to the doctor's appointment, that's what her mother or sisters or friends are for, that she's going to have this baby and it's your baby and you should be involved, but you shouldn't be intimately involved with her. And that's, I think, a kind of intimacy, you know, having a baby together and being at the doctors together. And I don't think you should be there for that part. I think you should be there when the baby is born as a co-parent. But she's having a baby and you should let her have right. that baby. And you should keep your contact with her to a minimum, particularly if she's fucking nuts. And you should change your locks. <laughs> yeah, I already got my landlord to do that for me, so I'm on the top of that. You should make clear to her, if this happens again, I'm going to the police. Okay. I also kind of thought about the idea of trying to go for joint custody, or sole custody, excuse me. Well, if she's, is, is she nuts? I think so. I honestly think so. Okay, well, maybe you should. Maybe that would be the right and responsible thing to do. Now there's the issue of what to tell your current girlfriend. Were you fucking your ex after you got together with your current no, I was completely done with the ex. Okay, well, that's good. And so you go to the current and you say, complications from my previous relationship. And if you haven't been dating your current for very long, that may end your current relationship. But if it ends your current relationship, so be it. Because okay. if your current girlfriend, after only being with you for a few weeks, I assume. Yeah, just about a month now. Doesn't want to sign up for being the stepmother to this child that you're about to have with your crazy ex and that kind of complication like you and for the rest of your life for the next 18 years at least having to interact with this ex-girlfriend in this intimate way about co-parenting this child, your current girlfriend may not be up for that. But your next girlfriend, because that will be a given as you move forward and you date, could be up for that. But if your, okay. your current girlfriend has 
the right to be fully informed about where you're at and your life complications and your romantic complications and your DNA complications so that she can make an informed choice about whether she wants to keep dating you. And I know it's scary because she might choose not to keep dating you. But good. Then you will be less invested. Better you know that now than you drag it out for six months and then tell her. And it will be that much more painful if she decides to end it at that point. That sounds very good. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, it's all right. It's, I mean, I'm excited to be a dad first and foremost. Well, that's it's just a shitty situation. That's actually really good to hear. That makes me feel good about the person you are and hopeful for this kid that it may have at least one non-crazy and responsible parent in you. And, and, you know, caveat, maybe I'm being really unfair to your ex-girlfriend. Maybe she's having great big fat hormone swings because she's suddenly pregnant and sometimes people act irrationally and do things that are wildly out of character uh, during the big hormone-a-thon that is an early pregnancy. So I'm going to qualify all that crazy girlfriend shit with that. But breaking into your house, that's fucking crazy. Yeah, I mean, she did that when she was, or she made a key to my house without my knowledge before she was even pregnant, so I'm not even going to chalk that up to hormones. <laughs> okay, then a so, caveat for uh, the caveat, fucking crazy. Yeah. And, and keep it way. to a minimum. Keep it, keep, uh, keep your contact to a minimum. Her pregnancy and her medical needs are hers. This child is yours together. And you can provide some emotional support, perhaps, but you need to... Make sure that you're not providing so much emotional support that she misinterprets that as you guys are getting back together because baby. If that's not a possibility and it doesn't sound like it is. All right. That sounds very good. Good luck. Thank you. Hi, Dan. I'm calling not on behalf of myself but more about a friend of mine. I feel, I feel like I did something bad and – um and I need you to either say, yeah, you fucked this whole thing up or no, this was not your problem. So I have one of my dearest friends in the whole world is Mormon. I've grown up around Mormons my whole life and, you know, he is married and happily for the most part and has three beautiful children who, you know, I love and adore, but he's gay. I mean, he he knows this, um, his wife knows it, he was gay, and then he found the Mormon religion when he was in high school and converted and, and they got married really young, but they had, they had a lot of problems. He has a lot of problems, psychological issues, and he loves his family and he loves his wife. I know, I know he does, and uh, he's her best friend and vice versa, but I'm also really good friends with her and really good friends with him and but also involved in their family life and she confides in me and he confides in me and I know that they're both it seems all that they've told me they're both so unhappy and um it's really hard for me to hear that I just have always been this person that has believed that if you don't wake up in the morning and you're not happy with where you are or who you are, then you need to change it to find something that makes you happy. And he's miserable and she's miserable because he's miserable. It's just this vicious circle. Um, anyway, and so, I mean, I've been ta- I'm gonna telling him that. I've been, you know, kind of saying that to him and 
And he called me and said that he's meeting with a divorce lawyer tomorrow. And it just scares the shit out of me because I'm terrified if they get a divorce, that is my fault because I told him that he needs to be happy and live his life how he needs to and not feel confined. Um, but I, I love their family and the last thing I'd want to do is rip it apart. And I feel like that's exactly what I'm doing. You can't have fucked this whole thing up because this whole thing isn't your thing. This isn't your marriage. You aren't either of these people that you somehow got into the middle of this because they were both confiding in you is puts you in a really awkward, uncomfortable position, obviously, but you need to step the fuck off and, and back away from this marriage that ain't your marriage and this problem that ain't your problem and wish them all the best. And they're miserable together and they're making each other miserable. So is something you said convinced this gay to Mormon to gay dude that it was time to consult a divorce lawyer? Well, good. It'll be painful ripping the Band-Aid off and getting the divorce, but maybe they'll both be happier in the end when he's getting it in the end from some nice man and she's getting it from somebody who's actually physically, sexually and romantically attracted to her. Perhaps when they speak to a divorce lawyer, they'll speak to a counselor. Maybe because they like each other so much, they could have a wonderful companionate marriage and fuck other people. But they probably won't do that. Most people won't do that. Certainly most conservative religious types won't do that. Maybe they'll do the companionate sexless marriage thing. A lot of conservative religious types have exactly that kind of marriage but not one that allows for them to pursue other romantic or sexual partners on the side. All of which is irrelevant. I mean I'm actually running away on a tangent now. Who gives a shit? This isn't your marriage. You didn't do this. You didn't – this pooch is screwed but it's not your screwed pooch. Somebody else screwed this pooch. Put the dog down and back the fuck away from the dog. That's my advice for you. Hi, this is a response to Dan who's equating the disclosure that you're poly and partnered with the disclosure that you're HIV positive. I don't think those two things are comparable. It's a lot easier to take precautions to keep yourself from catching HIV, especially if the person is, is, has got their viral load under control and is using medication already and if you're practicing safe sex than it is for some people to um, keep their emotions guarded. I know that it's not just prejudice. I don't want to date someone who's poly because I don't want to be part of the whole, I don't want to be one of a bunch of different partners. When I date someone, I want to be in a relationship with that person where it's the two of us. And if I was flirting with somebody and exchanged phone numbers and had exchanged emails and texts and phone calls, and that whole time the person had not disclosed that he was actually in a relationship but poly, until after we went out, I would be very upset indeed. I would feel really yanked around and manipulated because I have no interest in going out with somebody in any kind of way uh, who's poly and who's or is, and poly and practicing and in, in another relationship already. I don't want to be someone's secondary or tertiary partner. But I have actually gone out with people who have had various STIs, no one who's been HIV positive, and it was a simple matter of disclosure, which I appreciated, and then taking precautions to make sure that I was protected from catching whatever it was that that person had. So I, I 
think it's a bad analogy. I know what you're trying to do, but I just don't see it as being comparable. Most people are not poly, and so I think that if you are and you meet someone who's flirting, there's no reason where that person would assume that you are poly, and you should disclose that pretty much when that phone number was asked for. Hi, Dan. This is in regards to the question of nudity within the home. I am a nudist, and I know many families that function very normally. And for somebody who is so sex positive, I'd like to say it's not about sex. It's about self-image, self-esteem. And the statistics are there to back up that teenagers that come from a nudist home are very well-rounded, very comfortable with their body, don't have problems with the self-image issues that so many teenagers do. Hey, Dan, calling to respond to episode 337. The advice you get to learn about the pedophile dad. She needs to call the FBI and give them that hard drive so they can track those guys that sent the material to that man down and get them out of business. And we're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. If you want to record a question or call for a future show, give us a buzz. There is a comment thread on each and every show at thestranger.com slash lovecast. If you want to jump in and argue about this week's show, that's the place to do it. The podcast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and Nancy and the tech savvy at Risk Youth. We'll be back at you next week. Another installment of Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.